Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. A sword such as this will bring honor to its bearer. This is nice work. It's new, isn't it? You know the trouble with an adventurous life, son? It can end before it gets started. I might teach you how to handle a sword, and then someone will shoot you with a crossbow. Now, for the maiden bloodletting. Surely your father never would have imagined it would be your blood. Such miserable luck to die by the sword you helped forge. Welcome to Neon, the podcast that takes pop culture, strips it bare, and reveals the real history behind it all. I'm Jem Daduchu, and this time round, we're talking about the video game Kingdom Come Deliverance, which means, of course, we'll be talking about Bohemia, the Holy Roman Empire, the problem with armor, Skyrim, and why not, neckties. You got here, Brenda. This guy has been creeping around since at least 1700. Not possible. You've been here for three and a half hours. Now, how many different ways do you want me to tell the same story? Notice anything? Unusual about Santa Carla yet? No, it's a pretty cool place. I'm impressed. How many questions does it usually take to spot? As your leader, I encourage you from time to time, and always in a respectful manner, to question my logic. Now to run a computer check on this tape and the professor. Dodge this. The tracks go off in this direction. Kingdom Come Deliverance. This is a new release, and it's a really interesting one because it's in the area of role-play games. And one of the role-play games it's been compared to, or RPGs as they're referred to in the jargon, is Skyrim. So let's talk a little bit about Bethesda's monster series called The Elder Scrolls, the most recent of which has been Skyrim. Now, actually, some of the very early ones, they were PC only, and they go back decades, to be honest. But the one that started to get people 
interested in, the first one I had a go at, was Morrowind, but that had problems. But for the time, it was very much cutting-edge graphics, and I, like many people, got hopelessly lost in it, and obviously, because it was rather old, it was still learning how to teach you the game. A lot of people don't realise a good video game teaches you how to use it as you go along, so that by the time you spent a few hours with it, you know the rules, and sometimes those rules can change, but you can adapt to them. But ultimately, it's about you mastering the rule set. And Morrowind wasn't particularly great with that. But it then evolved, and then we got Elder Scrolls, then we got the ones with all the gates everywhere. I've spent a lot of time on that one. That was about uh, 12 years ago, nearly, now. Um, but then, if they're not doing the Yoldi World Elder Scrolls games, Bethesda are doing very similar kind of role-play games set in a post-apocalyptic world called F Fallout. And I played Fallout 3 and Fallout 4. So if they, they basically alternate between the Elder Scrolls games and the Fallout games. I have to be honest, I prefer the Elder Scrolls ones. Fallout 4 in particular I thought was pretty disappointing. I, I thought graphically it wasn't particularly much better than 3, even though it moved from my perspective from the Xbox 360 to the PlayStation 4. It should have been streets better. It wasn't. And some of the additions I found outright annoying. But more importantly, it did feel like more of the same. And the reason why I'm not super keen on the Fallout games is roleplay games in general are all about the loot. It's about the stuff you get as you wander around this world. And that's interesting in the Elder Scrolls world as you get a magic sword or a pile of gold or a magic wand. Whereas in the Fallout world, because it's post-apocalyptic, the currency's bottle caps, and that just isn't as cool as finding a giant diamond ring. And the weapons are all sort of worn and they can be quite powerful, but a lot of them aren't. And they just don't look as pretty as the stuff in the Elder Scrolls world. So anyway, that's my very brief view on the Elder Scrolls versus the Fallout series, both created by Bethesda. However, the most recent one from the Elder Scrolls is Skyrim. Actually, it came out, I'm going to guess now, about five years ago, give or take, and it's had a bit of a rebirth because it got redone into HD and uh, sort of Super HD recently, so you could go back and play it again with all the expansion packs added on. And then in late 2017, it was released in VR. Now, I haven't had a go at that, but the idea of being that immersed in that realm sounds amazing. And what a number of people have said is when you're fighting something like a giant spider on screen, because of the camera angle, it doesn't look particularly giant. But when you're in VR and suddenly that giant spider is staring you eyeball to eyeball, you get a much better sense of size. And I would imagine that, yes, the big outdoors looks impressive, but in a weird way, it might even be more impressive as you're walking through the dank corridors and caves of your exploring. Now, the world of Skyrim, and indeed all the Elder Scrolls stuff, as I've already mentioned, magic wands and magic swords, is they are a fantasy world. A little bit in the spirit of something like Lord of the Rings. But what Kingdom Come Deliverance is very different about is, yes, it has that feel in a medieval setting where you start off as the sort of poor peasant and you wander around and you start learning this world and you can kind of explore almost anywhere. But the difference is it's actually set in Bohemia, just at the start of the 1400s. 
So there are no dragons, no magic wands. And actually, what I would say is if you're going to talk about it being a medieval life simulator, you have to give this game 10 out of 10. But if you want to talk about it being just a game, it does have its flaws and difficulties and frustrations. But this is from a group that this is basically their first game coming out of this publisher as opposed to something like Skyrim, which has had decades and multiple iterations of that type of game being produced and polished. So it's not necessarily the most fair comparison, but a lot of people have been saying, in essence, Kingdom Come Deliverance is Skyrim without the dragons. Now, just going back to Skyrim for a moment, the dragons. They're very, very cool, undeniably. But you are dragonborn. Basically, the plot revolves around you having to deal with mighty dragons and bringing peace to the realm. And sometimes you have to fight dragons. And you actually have some skills that are dragon related, including your shout. So you you can cast magic spells. You can fire a bow an arrow if you so require. But just you can just literally shout magic, which quite often just pushes people over. So that's fun. And obviously that is not going to be in this super realistic reconstruction of the 15th century, early 15th century Bohemia. Now, Bohemia is an example of uh, that's not a place anymore. Where is Bohemia? Oh, hang on. I've heard of Bohemians, the Bohemian lifestyle. This must have been a kingdom full of artists sitting around smoking and drinking and being louche. Well, no. Bohemia was a central European country that was part of the Holy Roman Empire. And in the great scheme of things, Bohemia was just another kingdom, really. It wasn't you know, particularly known for its artistry. However, there were people from Bohemia and other places in Central Europe who went to Paris in the 19th century and they set up in a region and they just became known by the French as Bohemians. And uh, therefore, the name, if you like, has been repurposed and moved over to a completely different setting. More on the kings of Bohemia a little bit later on, and a, an unusual link to the kings of England on that one, but, but bear with me. So we've got Bohemia in this uh, marvellous video game, which has great graphics. Some people say the graphics are okay. Well, if you're going to compare it to the likes of something like Skyrim, I think the graphics are pretty good. And considering a, it's a large world, everything's built in fine detail. So if you want to think for a moment about, well, what does the Middle Ages have to offer me? Well, it has mysterious monasteries. It has castles. It does have dungeons, just not ones with living skeletons in. It has little villages. You have the opportunity, much like some Something like Skyrim to sneak around and pick locks and steal from people. However, the interesting thing is that everything is incredibly hard in this game. Maybe willfully, but it is worth pointing out that if you genuinely were a peasant in early 1400s Bohemia, then if you decided to go on a quest to seek revenge and become a knight and basically move your way up the social structure, you would find that incredibly hard. So 
it, I guess you could say it's one of the examples of it being an important simulator. And whereas you get random encounters in the likes of Skyrim as you're walking down the pathways or walking through the forests and suddenly a, a giant hoves into view or something like that, then, OK, you're going to fight that. Whereas in this game, you do get things like bandits. You do get things like wolves in the forest because that's what medieval Europe was like. We There's the joke in Britain about how all our wildlife is pretty harmless. Let's face it, probably the most dangerous thing you could come across walking through the fields of England is a badger. It's not exactly in tiger territory, is it? But it is worth remembering that into the Middle Ages, there genuinely were wild boar and wolves in England. We just hunted them to extinction, to be honest. That's a story for another time. But it doesn't mean that by any stretch of the imagination, Kingdom Come Deliverance is a boring game or anything like that. But it is hard and its attention to detail must be credited and saluted. For example, there's a series of sections in a monastery. Now, if you were playing a different type of roleplay game, you could run around and rip open chests and grab stuff. But in this one, you're meant to pretend to be a priest or a monk specifically, in which case you have to follow the monk type rules and you realise, well, what's interesting is it does start revealing to you things like nobody actually took a vow of silence. The idea that Brother Johnson is going to sit there in silence for 12 years is not really a thing. Instead, there were times of the day where they would sit in silence, sometimes in quiet contemplation. But there is an area in the in monastery uh, monastic complexes called the chapter house. And that's because before meetings, they would read a chapter from the Bible. And indeed, there would be other readings from the Bible as everybody sat as a community and ate their meals. You were meant to sit there in silence and get your nourishment from your food, but also your nourishment for your soul from the Bible being read out next to you. And what the game also shows you is monasteries were not the same thing as like a cathedral or church. They're a fairly large complex. Monasteries were hugely profitable enterprises and the papacy as a whole made lots of money throughout the Middle Ages. That's what ultimately led to the Reformation. If you look at the likes of St. Peter's in Rome, you see how big and impressive it is. Indeed, if you actually go there, there are metal studs in it, which shows you basically if we were to fit St. Paul's Cathedral, they actually have one for St. Paul's. If you fitted St. Paul's Cathedral into St. Peter's, this is how far along it would be. So in other words, St. Peter's is bigger than all the major buildings or religious Christian buildings around Europe. Ooh, aren't we great? But that's cost money to build. And actually, that particular one, they created a pap papal indulgences have been around for a long time. What's a papal indulgence? Well, the idea was if you've done a sin, you can pay a priest to pray for you a certain number of times. So monasteries actually became basically prayer factories where people, if you were genuinely worried, if you believe in heaven and hell and you were genuinely worried that I don't want to end up in hell for all of eternity, you're absolutely going to go to a church or a monastery or cathedral and ask for their assistance and obviously be happy to pay. What price can you put on eternal salvation, eh? Well, the, uh, 
the popes were pretty good at actually putting a price on it. But they put in some extra papal indulgences. There were so many of them being used to pay for St. Peter's that actually that's the thing specifically that Martin Luther complained about. So it was the building of St. Peter's that inadvertently started the Reformation. And make most no mistake about it, if we're talking about 1400, this is before the Reformation and Bohemia and everywhere else did actually have to talk to the Pope or listen to the Pope, including the Holy Roman Empire. Now, the joke, and I'm not saying it's a great joke, about the Holy Roman Empire is it wasn't holy, it wasn't Roman, and it wasn't much of an empire either. But apart from that, it's a great name. Cue applause, maybe? Anyway, the point is, that's actually a, a cute little way of, of pointing that out. So it, the Roman bit tells you how much the medieval world did look back to the Roman times as something good and something to be aspired to. However, it was actually largely Central Europe. Chunks of Germany, chunks of Austria, chunks of Italy places like Bohemia, and indeed some of these places, as I've said, Bohemia doesn't ex exist anymore. But also at the time of Bohemia, we have the beginnings of another place that doesn't exist anymore, Prussia, which is basically nowadays northern Germany and bits of Poland. So there were loads of these little kingdoms, principalities, duchies that did have their own individual identity, but were bound in to the Holy Roman Empire. And where the reason why it's not particularly an empire is if you were the Roman emperor of the Roman Empire, the buck stopped with you. You were the person in charge and you could dictate everything and nobody could really push back against that. But that's not the way it worked in the Holy Roman Empire. For starters, because some of the Holy Roman imperial lands bordered on and sometimes technically included uh, Rome and the Pope, the Pope and the Holy Roman Emperor would quite often have clashes. Uh, throughout the Middle Ages, there was something called, please bear with me on this, I'll be very quick because nobody wants to get excited about church history, but you'll like where it's going, okay? The investiture contest. The argument was, and let's go back to those monasteries, they owed loads of land and they were very wealthy. So who gets to pick the next Bishop of Mainz or the Archbishop of Canterbury? This affected the kingdoms across Europe. So the Pope argued that when it came to a position in the church, well, I'm the head of the church, I get to pick them. But the kings and emperors of Europe retorted with that saying, well, OK, that may be true, but they're actually owning a large chunk of the land that is part of my nation. So I get to pick. And it was that argument about who gets to pick, which is what the investiture contest is all about. And there are elements of that actually in the game as well. It shows you that in the Middle Ages, you have Christian priests getting involved in very real political situations and issues. So that was the investiture contest. That shows you the, the power of the Pope, which spread out across the whole of Europe. But this is also showing you the, the culture and context, which again, the game does a brilliant, brilliant job of. But where it can get frustrating is, as I said earlier at the, in the intro, the problem with armour. 
Now, if you are playing a game like Skyrim, what you're going to aim for is just level up to the best possible armor, and then you're going to absorb most damage and you can go around winning, basically. But actually, when it comes to Kingdom Come Deliverance, do you know what? I'm just going to call it Kingdom Come, okay? Because it just makes things faster. When it comes to Kingdom Come, what they point out quite well is that different armors have different advantages. And if we're talking about the early 1400s, well, by then we're in the high middle ages where that where the traditional knight that you've got in your head. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Existed. That's the full plate armor covered head to foot in metal. Big metal guard over the face. There you go. That's what everybody looked like in battle. Except if you dress up like that in the game, first of all, it's quite heavy, so you can't carry it nearly as much with that. But secondly, when you put that visor on, it really does a good job of protecting your face, but you can't see much. And that's a genius thing about the game, because it does show you the pros and cons of these different configurations of armor, but also the weapons that were being used at the time. Everybody thinks, ah, oh, yes, we're in the time of knights and it's all about swords. But think for a moment, which would you rather have if you were fighting somebody covered head to toe in plate steel? Would you rather have a sword or would you rather have a mace, which was basically a metal headed club? The answer is the mace, because that, it doesn't matter if I penetrate the armor, it'll just cause concussion. It'll just cause broken bones as I slam that into your arm or head or whatever. Do it with a sword, and actually, the cutting edge makes no difference against something like uh, a steel chest plate. So, actually, the game shows you the pros and cons. Uh, and uh, the way I've ended up configuring it is I'm actually wearing uh, a mixture of metal and leather armor, but actually no helmet because I can see everywhere that way and I can move around if necessary. So that's sort of what works for me. 
But one of the things that I don't know, they, they've actually said, the, the, the publishers have actually said they're going to change this. So I get the feeling they didn't realise it would be quite the problem it is. But going back again to Skyrim, you can save any time you want. So a traditional thing to do is oh, we're just coming up to a door. OK, I'm going to save now. Then I open the door and see what's behind it. If it ends up being a pile of gold, well, I can do that. If it ends up being a bunch of monsters that kill me, well, I just go back to that save point and I'm now going to prepare myself before I walk through the door. You could say that in a way is cheating, but a lot of gamers, including myself, like that because the whole thing about these open world games is freedom. But the thing that's definitely annoying or, or possibly genius is that you can only save at certain points in Kingdom Come. Because of that, you then have to be quite careful. If I'm just going to go off wandering into the forest to explore and see what I can find and, oh, maybe I can pick up some gold or fight a wolf. Problem is, if I die half an hour into doing that, I then have to do track back half an hour's time as well. So it does leave this kind of risk reward. If I'm leaving the village and I'm going to try and get to the other village, perhaps before nightfall when things get a little bit more dangerous, can I do it in time? Um, you know, what happens if I see somebody wounded on the side of the road? Do I go and, go and help them and tend to them? Or it could be a trap. And, and actually, it starts making you think perhaps a little bit more realistically. It's all very well when you're an invulnerable dragonborn with a magic wand. You're going to go and explore everything. But that's not actually how human beings work. There are times when we get a bad feeling about things, in which case we want to make sure that we're safe. So it turns us into slightly self-centered cowards. Oh, there's a man wounded on the side of the street. Or maybe they're just trying to lure me to the side of the street and mug me. So on this occasion, I'm going to go on. And maybe I've just let down a genuinely vulnerable individual, or maybe I've managed to dodge a trap. Those are two very different ways of approaching a game and a situation. But what's interesting is because there isn't all the magic and other things like the Thieves Guild and all that kind of stuff, generally in things like Skyrim, I didn't spend much time doing theft because I could just kill a couple of enemies and, and loot their bodies and that would be more gold than I'd find in a peasant's house. And the weird thing about Skyrim and theft, uh, and this generally is the same thing with all of Bethesda's games, is I might sneak in in the middle of the night where there is nobody around. And because I basically fail to pickpocket something correctly, suddenly the entire village knows I've done it and all the guards are heading towards me as if they've got sat nav. That is not how the world works, let alone the medieval world. So maybe they have magical sat-nav, I don't know. So, But that was something that a lot of people found annoying. And the other thing is you'd then travel around and people would know you're a thief. And it's like, really? This is the only thing you can talk about? And clearly news, I've just you know, ridden here hard on a horse. How did this news catch up before me? So that kind of stuff uh, is it's almost takes you out of the game because clearly it's a game mechanic rather than part of a living, breathing world. But Kingdom Come is more like, OK, you got away with that, you got away with it. And because there aren't as many options to make money and you do start off as a dirt poor farmer and combat is hard. As I've just mentioned, you know, the visor alone on an armor plating can cause problems with vision. But just generally doing the rhythms of fighting and, and the difficulties with bows and arrows Maybe if you're uncharitable, you could say this is a this is a 
poor programming, or you could say this is genius because it's showing you that if you were a peasant, it's actually quite hard to become a warrior. You just had no training. And when you look at those knights in shining army, uh, armor and manuscripts, those are people who've been brought up in the martial world. So of course they're always going to win in battles against large numbers of peasants. The peasants didn't know what they were doing and they didn't have the weapons to penetrate their armor. They're going to win. So all that you absolutely get from the game. But that isn't necessarily what you always want from a game. And I would say that it's a flawed masterpiece. There are many things I like about it, and just because it isn't like Skyrim is no bad thing. If you want, it, nobody wants a carbon copy of any game, really. Um, so, with that, in that regards, I give it, you know, ten out of ten in terms of its intention, in terms of its world building, in terms of showing just a casual gamer a little glimpse into what it was like in medieval Europe, but. In terms of it being a game, I certainly wouldn't give it 10 out of 10. I did say I would go back to the Kings of Bohemia and an unusual link to the Kings of England. And this goes back to the Battle of Crecy. Because actually, in, in the early 1400s, Bohemia never mentions this. And it shows you that in Europe at that time, politics was actually very, very localised. In Bohemia, they simply didn't care that the Byzantine Empire was losing to the Ottoman Empire. It was just too far away to care. And similarly, a little bit closer to them, but still just as irrelevant, for already 50-odd years, England and France had been fighting in, what, in a group of battles and campaigns which became known as the Hundred Years' War. So that is going on as well, but it's not a major plot point. But if you're English, you might be sitting there going, well, why isn't this being mentioned? Because it wasn't the only thing happening in Europe at that time. But in the year 1346, there was the Battle of Crecy, where Edward III and his army, and one of the people on one of the flanks was his young son, the Black Prince. He was just 16 years old at this battle. This was actually the first time in Western European history that cannons were used. Edward had actually brought in a few cannons. They didn't really look like what you'd think of cannons. They kind of looked like giant bells and they didn't fire cannonballs. They fired really big arrows. So clearly we hadn't gone much beyond uh, the basic concept of bows and arrows then. But one thing he did have a lot of at that battle were archers, longbowmen. Now, it's very tempting to say they're all English, but actually, the majority of the archers were likely to have been Welsh. So you have a Welsh-English army versus, you'd think it was just the French, but actually they had a number of different allies there on the battlefield. And this was the first big pitched battle of part of the Hundred Years' War. And it was the first time that longbows were to prove to be a decisive weapon in a battle on continental Europe. But nobody knew that at the beginning of the battle. And one of the allies of the French king was the Bohemian king. Bohemia was represented at the Battle of Crecy. But the Bohemian king was blind, but he was very much about honour, and he had promised that he would fight alongside the king of France against the king of England. And so he asked his knights to basically tie together them, the, all their knights and him so that they could all charge in the same direction. He waved his sword around. And he had this magnificent helmet with three great ostrich feather, feather plumes on them. 
And so he rode into the whirlwind of Crazy and the longbowmen just slaughtering the cavalry wave after wave. I'm not going to go into the entire battle in this in this uh, particular podcast. Maybe it comes up at some other point. I don't know. But the Battle of Crazy was effectively a battle won through missile technology, missile being cannon slash longbows. And actually what the French found incredibly difficult is man on man, they probably had the better army and they certainly had a larger army, but it was getting across the kill zone to get at the English and Welsh archers, where they ultimately faltered. And at the end of the battle, as Edward III was marching around the piles of bodies of the enemy, he spied the dead king of Bohemia. And he took off his helmet with these three great ostrich plumes, and he gave it to his son, the Black Prince, who was technically the Prince of Wales. And that is why to this day, don't believe me, check the 2p coin. That's why those three ostrich feathers are the sign of the Prince of Wales. It is something that exists today that started at the Battle of Crecy. Two other things actually that happened at the, at the end of the Battle of Crecy. Edward was so impressed by the martial prowess of his men that he created the Order of the Garter, the first of these knightly orders which still exist to this day. It's considered one of the most exclusive clubs in the world. It's one of the few times the monarch, queen in this case, Queen Elizabeth II, she doesn't have to do things that the Prime Minister wants her to do. She can make close friends, members of the Order of the Garter. And the only other way you can get in is if you're an ex-prime minister. So those are pretty high reasons to get into that club. And there are only a fixed amount of people. I think it's 12. Don't quote me on that. But you have to wait for somebody to die before you get to be a new knight of the Order of the Garter. But that is probably the most exclusive club in the world. That's the second thing. And the third thing is, well, why is... George, St. George, the patron saint of England. St. George actually had nothing to do with dragons. That's a much later invention. What St. George was is he was meant to have been a Roman soldier who converted to Christianity, refused to renounce Christianity, and was martyred. He came from what we would call today Palestine. He never went to Britain. Bit weird that he becomes the patron saint of England. But that's because in the Middle Ages, the, the saints all had jobs to do. And George was the patron saint of soldiers and knights. Indeed, if you look at some of the chronicles of the First Crusade, during a pivotal battle around Antioch, some of the warrior saints, including George, are actually appear and fight with the knights of the Crusade which is, I guess we're back to Skyrim because that's magical. Anyway, the point is he was associated with all kinds of warriors across the whole of Europe. And the argument that Edward made is, oh, that may be true, but clearly today George honoured us specifically. So that's why he became the patron saint of England. But he's not just the patron saint of England. There's an entire country, Georgia, named after him, and he's obviously their patron saint, and he's also the patron saint of Portugal and Russia. So he gets around a bit. None of these countries he uh, ever actually went to, but there we go. So that's a little bit about 
Skyrim and a little bit about Bohemia and we've also got the Battle of Crecy. But I said I would end on ties, neckties. And that is going back to how the French grabbed this word from the East and turned it into their own. The fact that Bohemian lifestyle is very different in 1403 than Bohemian lifestyle in 1880 Paris, okay? And they did the same thing with ties because during the Thirty Years' War, which was from 1618 to 1648, it was arguably the most destructive war in Central Europe. Indeed, more damage happened to Germany during the Thirty Years' War than happened to them in World War II. And you've seen the pictures of the destruction then. But anyway, France was involved in this horrific war. It was largely Protestant versus Catholic, but over the 30 years it morphed and changed so that at the end you actually have Catholic France fighting Catholic parts of the Holy Roman Empire. It gets complicated. But here's the thing. France hired some Croatian mercenaries to help them. And these particular Croatian mercenaries were wearing a traditional Croatian shirt, which was all one colour, but around the neck it had a separate piece of cloth which was there to bind the shirt together and keep it on their shoulders, basically. Therefore, it was Louis XIV who loved that so much that he started coming up with variations of it. And they used the French word for Croat, they were Croatian mercenaries, to describe it. They called it a cravat. Now, to this day in France, a standard necktie is called a cravat. In England, however, a cravat is kind of an extra poofy necktie rather than a tie. But yes, the next time you have to put on a tie for an important business meeting or something, you are actually honouring Croatian mercenaries. And I thought I'd leave you with that thought. So... This has been Neon. I am Jem Daduchu. If you enjoyed this, again, I ask you, please do click on the subscribe button. Absolutely do leave us a review. It all helps to sort of spread the word of Neon. If you want to get involved with us, you can speak to us on neonpodcast.com. That's the official website. It's Neon Podcast again on Twitter and Facebook. If you want to talk to me, I'm Jem Daduchu on Twitter and I'm History Gems with a G on Facebook. Thanks very much for listening. Watch out, there'll be more neon goodness soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.